Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Austin is adapting to and building the future in real time. I'm Michael Scharf. We are exploring and driving our transformation into the next innovation powerhouse. I'm Jason Scharf. I'm a bio-researcher at UT to the assembly line worker at Tesla, from the musician on 6th Street to the coder at Dell. And with the founders, funders, and early employees of the next great startup, we are all Austin Next. Welcome to the Austin Next podcast and to our very first remote from the headquarters of Rex LLC. And we're here to talk to Peter Rex, an innovator and leader in the property tech space, someone who's become very involved in the innovation ecosystem here in Central Texas. Peter Rex began working construction at 18 years old while attending community college. In 2005, he purchased his first property. So to preserve cash, Peter would sleep in vacant units and he did all the maintenance, construction management, legal tax, finance, code compliant, and asset management work. Oh, and in his spare time, he completed a philosophy and government degree from Georgetown, a law degree from Harvard, and got his CPA. Beginning with the Great Recession of 2008-2009, Peter scaled his portfolio to $2 billion in assets and over 500 employees. Seeing an opportunity in PropTech, Rex began about four years ago to liquidate some of that portfolio to raise capital. He raised about a billion dollars in investable capital and launched Rex Tech Ventures, which is building technology to serve real estate owners and operators. Rex currently has 10 companies solving the largest and most lucrative problems in the real estate industry, ranging from insuring and paying workers to investing and managing assets. In mid-2020, Peter moved his operations here to Austin, Texas. Pete, welcome to the Austin Next Podcast. Great to be here. Thanks, guys. Why'd you move from the West Coast? Why come here? Well, why not? You know, you guys are here as well. We figured we'd all get together, have a good time here. So for the listeners, we are, we're overlooking uh, the city of Austin. We can see it right next to the Pennybacker Bridge. And we get the view of uh, Lake Austin as well and the beautiful hill country and the skyline, right? So we got a good, good, good place here to get together and talk some shop here about Austin, the future of tech, future of Austin. But yeah, why Austin? Why we make the move? Well, a lot of reasons, right? But ultimately, I'm a long-term thinker, and I'm thinking over a 30-year cycle. And I got my start in the technology industry by moving out to San Francisco and built ground up out of there uh, for you know a couple of years. Then moved up to Seattle, did it for a couple of years up there. And that's a very different technology ecosystem, but equally as powerful. A lot of people don't realize that you know there's just a couple of small trillion-dollar companies up there called Microsoft and Amazon <laughs> making some you know small yeah. moves. So uh, it was good to see a different way to do things. But from there, I felt like I had passed a, you know, hit the marginal learning curve level on technology, where I still have a lot to learn, obviously, but hit a marginal learning curve and wanted to really set up the headquarters in somewhere that would be long-term and the best soil possible for building a company that is world-class long-term. And I wanted to pick the place that I thought would be the next big wave, where I thought, you know, would be, who's going to own the next 30 years? And when I thought about that landscape, and I considered even personal items like my family and what's important to us and for my family and myself and a lot of our employee base as well, 
we highly value things like faith, family, and freedom. And I also am obviously a sucker for entrepreneurship and business. It's all I do all day long, 24-7. So, you know, these are all things that Texas loves and Texas embraces. And they're willing to fight for. So I said, that's, you know, the, the recipe there, that makes sense. This is going to flourish. It's going to be good. It's a happy place to be. It's fun. And then there's always, always the other bonuses about it. Great food, great food scene. And uh, comedy scene here has gotten a lot better. And then folks like you coming over here that are bringing a lot, a lot of diversity of thought, different perspectives coming to from different areas. That's also great as well. We all come here and we're all sort of new. So we're new together. It's almost like coming into a new school together at the same time, you know. First of class, you start to get to know each other almost like, boom, we all start at the same spot. So that's kind of a long summary of it, but. No, it's a great summary. What surprised you moving to Austin? Um, you know, not too much, actually, uh, <laughs> which sounds a little crazy, but a lot of people, uh, they, you know, because I, I make moves fast, they tend to think I'm a complete cowboy, but that is not the case, actually. I'm very strategic. So I research and think about things heavily and very long term. So I, I basically, I'd say I knew what I was getting into. I had taken a, a bet investment-wise, even on Austin back before, you know, Austin was like, you know, known to be a powerhouse and bought, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of assets here and without even stepping foot in Texas, just off of computer screens and research. <laughs> so I had already, and this was many years ago, and I still have, still have some of these assets. I bought it during the great financial crisis. And uh, so... And then during the, the Great Financial Crisis, we also bought Hotel and a few other ones when I moved down here. So, and that's because hotels were fairly cheap while there was no one, you know, while I was in distress and everyone thought, oh, the world's over. It's never going to come back. So, but, you know, when it, you know it's, uh, I, I knew what I was getting into. Not too much surprised me. And in fact, you know, we've been uh, not, nothing but happy. But what if I'd say, nothing surprised me about what I found here, but I'd say when I think about things I couldn't have predicted fully as easily as I wouldn't have predicted that Elon Musk would have just, called it, decided, you know, move the whole company over here. That I definitely wouldn't have thought would have happened. I did think people were going to think similar to us. We had been the first technology company to notify anybody that we're making a move. And the first people I knew about that even thought about it, actually. And before we even posted, we had a Wall Street Journal op-ed that went viral that I put out. And that, you know, put notice throughout the whole world what we were doing. But before that, we'd already made that decision in May of when COVID hit. So we had already two months before that made a decision. But every time you have a good idea in investing, for example, I always know that someone else will catch on to this idea if it's smart. So I did notice, I, there was the only time I've given my advice, personal advice to anybody from the financial side to our company. And I told all the employee base that, I said, hey, you should buy a home because this idea is, seems so obvious to me that other folks are going to catch on. And fortunately for them that they did, for those ones that listen to me anyways, because that thing just boomed, you know, and oh, doubled yeah. and stuff. Fastest growing city in the country. So Yeah, it's something I wish. We we moved in December of 2020, but started thinking about it in that kind of summer time frame. And in hindsight, as someone who, you know, went through 2021 looking for a house, would have loved to have made that decision, you know, nine months earlier. It's interesting when you see the immigration kind of go in these waves, and it really does feel like there is this pandemic wave. Um, you talk about Musk and then also companies like Oracle and Lonsdale and APC and Briar and the like. What do you see kind of as the – something that kind of binds the COVID migration group that's kind of come to Austin? Well, you know, I, I always say for me it was faith, family, freedom when they say personally, you know. But um, I think if you take those three things, it could be any one of them for people. Sometimes it's family. And these are all people, you know, look, if we share any one of those three things, we're going to get along. 
<laughs> if you're into freedom, we're going to get along. I don't care what your background is, where you're from. And if you're into family, we're going to get along as well, I think, because that's basically, I like these types of people. We get along generally. And it just depends. You know, so there's a guy, um, one of the guys on, on a boat, he was out on my boat yesterday. We were, like I said, the we got caught by surprise of the storm out of nowhere. And these Texas storms can rage. My five-year-old son actually noticed it in the horizon. So what's that? And I thought, man, that's not coming for us, is it? But it was. So we had to book it, man. It started hitting the hail and stuff. And but anyways, when I was talking to him and his background, he's he's uh, he's a partner in the company. It's MIT background. You know, been in tech forever. Really smart on tech. You know, knows it deeper than me. And when we were talking out there, his wife was on the boat too, and she was saying they have had zero regrets. They moved from LA actually. And they've had zero regrets, and they've been here now. They 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 were here before I even got here. Actually, he came in, joined our company after we were here. But he, uh, they both said that they've had zero regrets, and when they go back to L- L.A., they're actually only convinced more of the what, the wisdom of the decision. And ultimately, for them, it was family. You know, they wanted to, and some simple things. It's it's funny, right? It was they love having their kid be able to play outside, and know that he's going to be safe, and. It seems like, you know, that's such a simple thing, but man, that if you got kids, that's huge. And so anyways, it's interesting. everyone's got different things that drives them. And like I said, if anybody's got any one of those, I think if you take, it's any one of those three things, I think ultimately drive somebody who makes that decision. And by the way, any one of those three things I believe are good for business long-term. Well, I, I did like your metaphor about kind of everyone coming in on the first day of school together and, and be these waves and everyone's, the joke is always, Everybody's like, oh, and you know, five years ago, Austin was great. And I kind of like, you know, for us, I think it's gonna be the same thing five years from now. Like, you should have seen it when we all first kind of came here, right? And so, this kind of class, I I like that metaphor, like kind of the class that kind of goes together and learns Austin all at the same time, I think will be fascinating to see how that group kind of changes it. I wanna kind of come in now on kind of uh, Rex itself. And you've got 10 companies all kind of in the prop tech space with obviously, I think, blockchain and digital. Talk to me kind of at the vision at the high level of what you guys are doing. Yeah, so high-level vision, we are creating technologies to serve owners and operators in real estate. So we're, we've identified the largest, most lucrative problems in the industry, and we have built 10 companies around these problems with solutions, right? So our main thing with the companies, we have three main advantages, as I see it. I'm sure there's, you know, that's going to be the company, sure there's a lot of advantages they, they might think they have, but I think it's three core ones. One is we have a leak tech team on par with anything in Silicon Valley or Seattle, right at the top percentile. Second is we have deep domain knowledge, actually better than any of the companies out there in Seattle or San Francisco. We have deep domain knowledge in real estate. So, and the third is we are able to test off our companies. We have a company I spun out a couple of years ago that's already over managing over billions of dollars of assets on the property management side. And we can test with that and make that company a lot better and also get learnings. And then we have an in-house inbuilt customer again, initial scale, right? So all the companies have traction and they're on the move. So we are, uh, in, that's that's kind of the high level view of, of what we're going after. And, and ultimately when I think about what I really want to do with any company at the very, very highest level, I try to think like, how are we going to serve with these companies and businesses, right? Because if you're not serving, you got caught by surprise of the storm out of nowhere. And these Texas storms can rage. My five-year-old son actually noticed it in the horizon. So what's that? And I thought, man, that's not coming for us, is it? But it was. So we had to book it, man. It started hitting the hail and stuff. And But anyways, when I was talking to him and his background, he's he's, uh, he's a partner in the company. It's MIT background, you know, been in tech forever, really smart on tech, you know, knows it deeper than me. And... When we were talking out there, his wife was on the boat too, and she was saying they have had zero regrets. They moved from LA, actually. 
and they've had zero regrets and they've been here now. They, they, they were here before I even got here. Actually, he came in, joined our company after we were here, but he, uh, they both said that they've had zero regrets. And when they go back to LA, they're actually only convinced more of the, the wisdom of the decision. And ultimately for them, it was family. You know, they wanted to, and some simple things, it's, it's funny, right? It was, they love having their kid be able to play outside and know that he's going to be safe. And it seems like, you know, that's such a simple thing, but man, that if you got kids, that's huge. And so anyways, it's interesting. Everyone's got different things that drives them. And like I said, if anybody's got any one of those, I think if you take, it's any one of those three things, I think ultimately drive somebody who makes that decision. And by the way, any one of those three things, I believe are good for business long-term. Well, I, I did like your metaphor about kind of everyone coming in on the first day of school together and, and be these waves and everyone's, the joke is always, everybody's like, oh, and you know, five years ago, Austin was great. And I kind of like, you know, for us, I think it's gonna be the same thing five years from now. Like you should have seen it when we all first kind of came here, right? And so this kind of class, I, I said, I like that metaphor, that kind of the class that kind of goes together and learns Austin all at the same time, I think will be fascinating to see how that group kind of changes it. I want to kind of come in now on kind of uh, Rex itself, and you've got 10 companies all kind of in the prop tech space with obviously, I think, blockchain and digital. Talk to me kind of at the vision at the high level of what you guys are doing. Yeah, so high level vision, we are creating technologies to serve owners and operators in real estate. So we're, we've identified the largest, most lucrative problems in the industry, and we have built 10 companies around these problems with solutions, right? So our main thing with the companies, we have three main advantages as I see it. I'm sure there's, you know, asking to be in the company, sure there's a lot of advantages they, they might think they have, but I think it's three core ones. One is we have a leak tech team on par with anything in Silicon Valley or Seattle, right at the top percentile. Second is we have deep domain knowledge, actually better than any of the companies out there in Seattle or San Francisco. We have deep domain knowledge in real estate. So, and the third is we are able to test off our companies. We have a company I spun out a couple of years ago that's already over managing over billions of dollars of assets on the property management side. And we can test with that and make that company a lot better and also get learnings. And then we have an in-house inbuilt customer again, initial scale, right? So all the companies have traction and they're on the move. So we are, uh, in, that's that's kind of the high level view of, of what we're going after. And and ultimately, when I think about what I really want to do with any company, the very, very highest level, I try to think like, how are we going to serve with these companies and businesses, right? Because if you're not serving, you won't make money in the long run if you're just a parasite. You know what I mean? You've got to figure out how to serve long term. So and then we go, okay, great. Well, then how will we do it as a company? I've got to look to our assets. And when I say assets, I mean, first and foremost, our people, both myself, but also a lot of our leadership. And where do they have key advantages? Because if you just go to, if you try to play in anything, that means you're going to win. I could be like, you know what? I think I'll be really good at, you know, basketball. Let me go play against, uh, you know, pro. No, you're not going to win. So, you know, in business, same thing, right? You got to pick your form. And I want to, if you want to pick a form you're going to win in. For me, the form I'm going to win in, I'm going to win in the real estate form in tech. And and the reason why is because I have just massive advantages there. So that's why I'm doing that. Now, can I win in healthcare? Definitely not against one of you guys, not against you, Jason, because yeah, you know a lot more than me. And and you've been doing it for a while. And can I win in corporate strategy? No, no, not against Michael. He's not. I'm not. It's not going to be able. To, not going to be able to pull it off. I uh, just got way too much experience on me. So I now I want to play in the area that I just know that we have the advantages. That that's why we're doing it that way. And it's a huge undisrupted place, and we're going to disrupt real estate completely. It's a huge asset class, two hundred eighty trillion plus. One of the things I think is really interesting about uh, Austin is the convergence of these various sectors. And I know uh, 
you obviously correct me in the, the detail, but you guys have a hotel, you're using an NFT around it. So this kind of converges now of blockchain and real estate. How do you see that kind of playing out and where do you see blockchain playing into real estate? Yeah. So I think, you know, and the good, so the bad news of blockchain and crypto is to me the good news because the bad news is it's going on the crapper <laughs> lately. They've all gone under, right? But that's the good news for me because I was getting tired of all these like nonsense things about blockchain and crypto and everything else. Even though I have actually been, I've been early on some of this stuff, right? I'm, I've got Bitcoin around 3000 or so and still I'm holding it for a million. And so I'm still long on blockchain and on, on certain crypto, you know, Bitcoin particularly. But um, I'm a very pragmatic person. If it's got to pass the muster, it's got to pass reasoning. If it doesn't, just could be about a lot of bluster, you know. But when we look at what we're doing in the real estate space is I'm taking blockchain to what I am applying in an area that I actually think that the technology itself creates massive value. So in the end of the day, we're still going to be transacting on real estate assets, assets that are actually investment grade, investable assets in real estate. However, we're doing it on the blockchain. The, pro the company's called ownprop.com, ownprop. So why is it called ownprop? Well, you get to own a property. <laughs> we're democratizing ownership to property. That's why it's called ownprop. So we, I, put, uh, I bought a couple hotels downtown when we first got down here because it was distressed. And also one of them was an iconic hotel, beautiful location, both actually phenomenal locations right in the core. Can't lose. And I bought another office building right in the core as well. So now we're, we're putting likely all three of them already, two of them are already tokenized on the blockchain and people have already bought and transacted on them and closed off the first opening, first offering that we, that we made. So blockchain, what it does there though, is it's, it is allowing someone to have the assurance and certainty that they own that piece of real estate because it is immutably recorded and it has been done, uh, you know, as though you had a bunch of like attorneys working on that for you, even if you only bought a thousand dollars worth of it. So because we're able to drop the minimum investment massively because we use blockchain and that replaces lots of people trying to audit and, you know, make sure it's, it's accounted for correctly. So my background, you mentioned I have a legal background. I also have a CPA as well. So, and I understand finance, but my, my actual original background was just philosophy and political philosophy, right? But anyways, when I went into business, I mastered these understandings just because I hated them. First of all, I don't like accounting and law. So and I knew I just was just, I don't want to do that and go over it. So I forced myself into it to just get it done, you know? Anyway, so, but having an accounting and a legal understanding really enables you to understand the play there with blockchain on real estate. Because what you're doing is you are verifiably ensuring that that asset is being recorded so that the owner that passes it from one hand, so if I own it and I give it to you, then you know that you got it and that I had it before. And then you know where I got it from as well, because it's all been recorded. So this is, this is basically the bedrock of the ability to trade. And real estate, $280 trillion asset class is huge. Well, it's actually very hard to transact. In this country, we can transact fairly easily. But you can't transact at a low minimum investment because the costs of the transaction are fairly high. So if you want to go buy a $100,000 investment, it's going to cost you no matter what, like about 1000 bucks or more, just to verify the ownership from before was who owned it, and then you take the new ownership on. And on top of that, you're going to still pay title insurance just in case you were wrong. <laughs> and an insurance company ain't losing money on you. So <laughs> in other words, like th that's what that's doing is disrupting that part of it. So what does, and this is obviously outside of my room. So what does blockchain give you that say like a REIT doesn't? Because the point of a REIT is I'm able to invest in properties, not directly, but in that ownership. So how does that, what is that actually the value prop that increases from that? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, in, in a way, it's almost like you a different. I use a lot of mental models, but they're not exact one to ones, by the way. I just use analogies. Right. And it's hard to understand for certain listeners might not be familiar with legal structures, but some of them might be. So they could track it and be like, OK, gotcha. So a REIT is a good example. Right. It's almost a real estate investment trust. So what is a real estate investment trust? It's basically a tax advantage type structure as long as you distribute X amount of money. I forgot all these things it's a long time ago. I think it's 95 percent of the total uh, funds from operation has to be you know, um, distributed. Um, but anyways, what that does is a tax advantage vehicle. They're, um, the ones that really are functioning right are in public markets. You know, in the real estate space, you have tons of these like Aimco, et cetera, a lot of these companies. So UDR, when you look at those companies, uh, what are people can go in there and buy interest in properties that those REITs, real estate investment trusts, own. Now, they then have to trust or go through that person that is controlling the REIT and deciding which properties to own and which ones to buy. So you're buying into a pooled ownership vehicle that owns all these interests and a variety of assets that you don't control which ones they are necessary, but you you can always investigate and find which ones they own. And if they offload when you don't want, maybe indirectly you can figure this out and sell it, right? But you don't control the destiny of that capital. So that's one thing. The second thing is there still is a decent operating cost to this, both on the transactional side, but also on the public side. When you're a public company, you know, like minimum, like they say minimum 5 million bucks a year to be public, something like that, right? So so it's fairly high expense just to keep that thing running. That's just at the public markets, never mind at the private level, at the property level. So what it does with, with blockchain, though, is it's almost like you take a property like Hotel in downtown Austin that we did this with. You take that and you make it a, a REIT, essentially, because you turn it into an investable product, the whole thing that you can buy little pieces of and sell them if you want. But instead of with a REIT that you buy something that someone owns a pool of like a bunch of hotels or a bunch of properties, you actually can pick the one you want. And why is that that good? Well, for a number of reasons, it's great. First of all, it's it's something concrete and you can see it and people know it's real. And people who work at our, one of our aspirations is that our, the people who work at the hotel down to the people who change the beds are going to be able to own a piece of that hotel. We have some blocks on this with the SEC and stuff. We're working through it, you know. It's kind of, it's kind of like the equivalent of the employee stock purchase program. Right, but, they get, but they're working the, on it. Yeah. Why can't they own it? They know yeah. it's a good asset. I mean, these guys aren't stupid. People of the street, they're smart, right? My grandma came over from Central Texas. I know you just talked about somebody who wanted to come move here and work for you, but how, how's it working? How's it working out for you? Are you able to get what you need? Are you looking for people all the time? Uh, yeah, if people are out there listening, uh, I'm looking for you. Uh, <laughs> I am. So we are looking for people. It's always the number one constraint is talent. But that's always been the case with me. For I've been in entrepreneurship for since I got out of college, 16 years, and I've always been looking for people. <laughs> yeah, so... But, you know, when we look at Austin, we look at, you know, Texas, what they're doing, what is it about that? I think we touched on some of these drivers that are making talent want to move here. But how is the talent picture? Is it good? Is it bad? You know, is it enough right now? For us, it's not enough yet, but we are making it happen. And, and, and here's the thing. And I've been in different spots, right? I've been New York. I've been in Boston. So um, been in Florida as well, Texas. But I also came from the West Coast most recently, uh, San Francisco and Seattle. So I've tried to sell every single place. And every time you're selling someone out of position, you're selling the whole package, right? And oftentimes you're actually selling their spouse. So you're talking to them, but you're really selling their spouse. So you really have to sell things the spouse is going to care about. So San Francisco has problems. Even four years ago, that was hard for me to sell sometimes. Sometimes if people have a family, they're just not having it. They're not going to move. So if you can't get them local, sometimes it's hard to get them. So then Seattle... 
you know, and I disagreed with this, but everybody would always be talking about the damn rain when I was trying to sell them on Seattle. They'd be like, it rains all the time. I'm like, technically, yes, but, uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> so it was always a difficult one. And, you know, it's, I got so tired of trying to sell uh, Seattle on the rain problem. And then fortunately, there's a lot of talent local, but still, you always need to go abroad anyways, as you're looking for certain specializations. Now, Austin doesn't have nearly the level of local talent of these places, not even close. We're talking what is magnitude difference, right? However, I can sell Austin. I can sell Austin fairly easily. And I can sell Texas a lot easier than what people would think because there's a lot of shadow support. There's a lot of people who, who are sort of the, you know, who, who are liking what they're seeing and they wouldn't mind paying less taxes. They wouldn't mind people who are going to get out of their business <laughs> and not going to be in their drawers and try to, I don't know. And they wouldn't mind a place that is into a lot of those things like faith, family, freedom, because at the end of the day, you know, even if, even if you are kind of a, a bit of a curmudgeon, you could have a, you could have a bit of a forward thinking approach where you say, well, if I take this three or four steps down the road, I might be the one they're trying to control. <laughs> you know what I mean? So even if they want to go control you, they could have enough foresight to say, well, I could see the shoe in the other foot and they try to control me. And most people say, hey, you know, I don't want to be controlled. Like, leave me alone. You know, within minimum constraints, you know, I know you got to put highways and everything else. But so I think like we'll, we'll see. It's easy to sell, in other words, for us, easier to sell. And so it's been very good in that respect. Highways and everything else, let's kind of talk about infrastructure. Yeah. We're blessed here with lots and lots of developable land. It reminds me when I was growing up in Southern California, you could build things easily. You can't anymore. But the infrastructure is lagging behind. Um, we have water issues. And with all the chip companies coming, that seems to be a bigger issue. What do you see in terms of infrastructure here that, uh, that troubles you or concerns you going forward? Yeah, I think the only uh, the only constraint is uh, is the mental constraint of people, right? Is is when people are unwilling to unlock human innovation and allow problems to be solved by human beings, by people. And we see this in you talk about tons of land they could develop in Southern California. Well, same thing in San Francisco, right? The problem is not the land. I talked to a very very shrewd, uh, fairly well known real estate investor that I met with when I was in. I'm still friends with him in San Francisco. So. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it veiled, you know, any more details on that, but one of the largest owners in in the West Coast. Uh, so he made a very good point to me, and he said, look, and and we actually agree on things because we're about empowering people. We're not about trying to, you know, screw basically the working class, which is essentially what happens out there. But he said that basically, you know, and, and I've, I've held the same position as well on an investment side is the reason why he holds so much positions over there is because the the rich get richer, and you just get richer because they never allow builders to build. Because if you allow builders to build, the constraint is not really land. The constraint is allowing builders to build. Because you can always go vertical, right? So even if you did imagine there was no land, which there's tons of land in America and California, tons of land. But if you imagine there was no land, you can always go vertical, right? You've been to like Hong Kong. So I mean, you could go vertical on small bits of land, right? So, or Manhattan, right? So so the constraint there is the ability to, to allow developers to develop. If you allow developers to develop, well, that's actually not even in my interest as an investor, right? I own a lot of stuff in Austin, right? So I don't, if I was a, if I was a selfish, you know, prick, I would say, you know, some people maybe think I am, I don't know, but, <laughs> but I, I would certainly not want to be one. And I'm certainly not going to be one when I advocate for things. And I'd advocate that they allow developers to develop. It's against my interest as an investor. I own a lot of stuff. That's going to take down the long-term value of investments downtown. But who cares, man? It's about people trying to come up and have lower-cost housing, be able to get from point A to point B. 
But if you let developers develop, it's just pure supply and demand with real estate, right? Sam Zell said, in real estate, there's no other industry that is as much supply and demand pro that's absolutely booming. They can look it up at insurepro.com if they want. We also have a thing called PayUp. It's a fintech play. They can look up at payup.com. Now, we're, these are fintech plays and insure tech plays that are coming through the real estate industry because real estate is basically every industry comes through that. It's like a central terminal. Everything touches real estate. So I can't speak to why prop tech would be a big thing for Austin. What I could say, though, why tech in Austin? Why is Austin quickly becoming a tech hub? And some people might say, well, it already was. It really, yes, you had some early first pioneers like Dell and uh, Joe Lamont from Trilogy and these guys who are definitely the pioneers and I'm a follower behind them and we're beneficiaries of it, right? But there wasn't really much of a tech hub here per se. You didn't have enough density. The density of talent, just to give you an idea, is I always consider it to be about 100 times to 1,000 times more talent over in Seattle, San Francisco for cutting edge tech. Probably still is the case right now. So, but why is it is it growing that's the key question. Why is it growing as a hub in tech? Well, some of the reasons I made the move, right? I gave the positive reasons. I think it's going to be a next wave. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. You have other folks like Musk did the same thing, right? He's moved his companies over here. Well, that's going to, we know that's going to happen. It's, it's going to start becoming a leader in tech. Now, but why is that the case? What is it that, why'd they fumble the ball, in other words, in a way, in the West Coast? Well, they did it because, you know, intolerance. It's almost like I was talking to a friend, uh, a friend of mine hit me up out of nowhere. Uh, he's one of the top hardware engineers in the world. So I won't say what company he's at, but anybody who, you know, it kind of narrows it down already. But I was surprised to hear from him. He's highly, you know, highly decorated type person. Highly, you know, he's highly known. And at the cutting edge of some things that are critical right now, globally that are happening at edge computing. So he hit me up. Uh, he wanted to talk, said, all right, you know, I just thought he wanted to catch up. So he wanted to actually get a job with me, with the company. And I was surprised about that because I was thinking, uh, well, we don't have a hardware play. We have software companies that use machine learning, natural language processing, we're using computer vision, we're using all cutting edge tech blockchain, but we don't have hardware right now. I could see it in the future, we could make a play. And he said, well, that's okay, I can, I can join anyways. And I said, well, what are you gonna do? He said, I can learn anything. And he went, I can do the software. I said, well, all right, well, I wasn't expecting this you know, on the call. And I would say, well, what's going on? Like, give me the idea. Like, and he said, well, I, you know, I just want to be in a place, a more open-minded version of Silicon Valley. And I said, yeah, I, well, I get you on that, man. <laughs> so, but, you know, so I think that's, this is a motivator. People want to be in an open-minded place, a place that, you know, if you're, you know, whatever your, your belief system is, as long as you don't hate other people and want to hurt people who disagree with you is totally fine. And we accept you who you are. That's cool. You know, I'm pro-life. I'm Catholic. I'm Irish, whatever. I'm very open about who I am. I am totally cool if you are atheist, whatever you are, as long as you're cool with me and we can be friends. And actually business is the best form for that because we get, it's like a sport team. It's like, okay, that's cool, man. Let's go. <laughs> you know, and then you realize, wow, I learned some things from this guy. He's a good guy. He's cool. And he's got different perspective. And I think about it that way. So I, I think not only do you get a different perspective, you also get innovation. Ideas you didn't get from someone else, and then boom, it's cross pollination of ideas, grow, and that's where innovation comes from. So I think that's that's a big the driver. Collisions are really what drive innovation, right? Steve Jobs called like the overflow or whatever he calls it, right? It's just basically a group doing this within the company, and another group doing this, and it caused overflow, serendipity. Some people call it serendipitous encounters. So you guys, get, I mean, even healthcare, right? You can do stuff in healthcare or other areas, and I don't know really a damn thing compared to you, to be honest with you. And, uh, but I could probably learn some, I mean, definitely would be able to learn some things. And by analogy, I might be able to take some tricks. You mentioned and be like, hmm, 
I can apply that over here somewhere. I was just having a meeting before I came in here with the guy. He was telling me about some insurance play. And uh, interesting, totally different area than what we're working on. But it was an insurance tech play, and he was telling me about it. And I just thought, I was like, just my brain was going off because I was thinking, man, I could, something about that I could do somewhere else within the company, a different play we're doing. It was a totally different. It was about data, how to, how to really leverage the data better. But that encounter, something totally different that I'm not doing, I had to come out of my own shoes, try to think about it, understand it, say, okay, I see the value. And then I came out and I said, well, yeah, I can do this. I can do something similar on something else. Yeah. It's not all roses. Austin has its problems. Oh, yeah. We've talked uh, a lot about uh, them over the course of the uh, podcast, housing, infrastructure, and talent. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you've talked a lot about all three, but let's start with talent. You talked about, in a recent uh, article, quote, we need governments to empower people in Texas and places like Florida and other free states. They're empowering people, and we can see how people flourish in that environment because company leaders earn a fight for talent. How do you see that talent picture right now in Central Texas? I know you just talked about somebody who wanted to come move here and work for you, but how, how's, it working? how's it working out for you? Are you able to get what you need? Are you looking for people all the time? Uh, yeah, if people are out there listening, uh, I'm looking for you. Uh, <laughs> I am. So we are looking for people. It's always the number one constraint is talent. But that's always been the case with me. For I've been in entrepreneurship for since I got out of college, 16 years, and I've always been looking for people. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, when we look at Austin, we look at you know Texas, what they're doing. What is it about that? I think we touched on some of these drivers that are making talent want to move here. But how is the talent picture? Is it good? Is it bad? You know, is it enough right now? For us, it's not enough yet, but we are making it happen. And, and, and here's the thing, and I've been in different spots, right? I've been New York, I've been in Boston. So um, been in Florida as well, Texas, but I also came to the West Coast most recently, uh, San Francisco and Seattle. So I've tried to sell every single place. And every time you're selling someone out of position, you're selling the whole package, right? And oftentimes you're actually selling their spouse. So you're talking to them, but you're really selling their spouse. So you really have to sell things the spouse is going to care about. So- San Francisco has problems. Even four years ago, that was hard for me to sell sometimes. Sometimes if people have a family, they're just not having it. They're not going to move. So if you can't get them local, sometimes it's hard to get them. So then Seattle, you know, and I disagreed with this, but everybody would always be talking about the damn rain when I was trying to sell them on Seattle. They'd be like, it rains all the time. 